in some instances you want to get the, the feedback and in, in, in others you do not okay. you know I think when I'm in my space here I feel like you know I've, I've broken the 10,000 hour rule for, you know a long long time ago that I have trust in that gut process of not only what it means to me emotionally but how I feel like it'll connect with people outside the room from my informed experience performance you're listening to bulletproof radio with dave asprey today's cool fact of the day is that isolated brains shrink i don't mean isolated like operating in a bell jar because that would be kind of gross but (laughs) fodder for science fiction i mean social disconnection a crew of eight people lived and worked at a german research station for 14 months in the antarctic And except for a little bit of time during the summer when they had other scientists, they just had long darkness of a polar winter and social isolation. Apparently, the Wi-Fi signal there was weak as well. So persistently white polar landscape, temperature below 50 degrees, and you can't even be evacuated if bad things happen. Afterwards, researchers in Berlin looked at their brains with MRI and wanted to know before and after changes. And what they found was really interesting. So interesting that the New England Journal of Medicine uh, published it, which is pretty much a very legitimate uh, journal, even though some of the stuff they publish around statins is probably garbage. So you guys tend to revisit that. Anyway, the social isolation and monotonous environment is pretty much what we're going to experience when we go to space. So it's really important to know what's going on here. Good news, what happened is reversible. And their hippocampal volume, the hippocampus in the brain, shrunk by 7%, which is not a good thing. The good thing is the brain is plastic. You can grow it back. My hippocampal volume is 87th percentile uh, for my age group. In other words, my brain isn't shrinking the way it normally does. Hippocampal volume is an early indicator whether you get senile cognitive dementia or Alzheimer's. So you want a big, fat, juicy hippocampus being alone in a featureless landscape, in the dark, is apparently bad for you. And if you live in Canada, I'm sorry. (laughs) Sorry. I live in Canada too. That was just a joke about the winter darkness, uh, seasonal disorder, et cetera, et cetera. Today's episode is a special live episode recorded in an actual proper studio. In fact, a more than proper studio because I am at Steve Aoki's fun house in the studio that he uses for his work. And Steve is the guest today. I almost feel like he doesn't need an introduction, but I know some people listening to the show pretty much spend all their time treating patients or in lab rooms or probably in social isolation, and this might be the one bright light of their day. So if you don't know who Steve Hayoki is, <laughs> he's one of today's most successful cross-genre artists with about, oh, just 1.5 billion music streams on Spotify and a couple 2 billion on YouTube, <laughs> and uh, founder of a record label and events lifestyle company uh, called Dim Mac. And he's launched the careers of global acts like The Kills, The Chainsmokers, and tons of others. Just a creative genius, a guy I've admired for a long time, and also a guy who's recognized by Forbes as one of the top five highest paid DJs of 2018 and the world's hardest working DJ. And they call him one of the most in-demand entertainers in the world. And he let me into his funhouse where I just jumped into a pit full of foam blocks. Steve, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming here, actually. Yeah. Oh, it's it's super fun. Uh, we've been 
I think texting back and forth for like three years, trying to find yeah. a day where we were both in the same city. Uh, and I still have yet to come to one of your performances because every time I check, I'm like on an airplane yeah, go somewhere else. Yeah, exactly. So we finally made it work. Thank you for having me over here. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's, there's so many things we could talk about on the interview because you have a fashion label. You have this lifestyle thing that you do and the, the ability to create your own music as well as to find other acts. You're a creative genius. I want to dig into your brain about why you're a creative genius. Do you know? Uh, I, I wouldn't call myself a creative genius. I would definitely, um, I, I, I'm, I'm like, I'm a grinding, I'm a grinder. So like I grind it out. I'll, I'll work three times as hard. Like I, when I think of creative genius, I think of like in my field, Calvin Harris, mm -hmm. Skrillex, artists that they, um, put their time and attention into one song or one project and it it literally influences culture um and they do it time and time again they like always find a way to pioneer and um no matter what's happening they'll they'll do something different than everybody else and everyone follows those to me are the creative geniuses in, in my field um but what i do is that's not my strategy my strategy is since I don't feel like I'm there, I'm just gonna do a lot. I'm gonna do a lot of different songs, a lot of different um, ways to challenge my process so that in time, I just get better and more fluid with my my whole process, my approach on how I'm creating. And one of those might hit. So, so for you, it's hard work and iteration not creative genius. Yeah, yeah, it's not it's not a natural force. Like I I would even say when I got into music, um I feel like when I get into anything that I'm passionate about, I'm generally a C-level talent. <laughs> I'm I'm dead serious. <laughs> okay. I really feel this way. Like we're playing ping pong, I'm like the worst ping pong player out of my friend group. But I will <laughs> take the lessons and I will be playing ping pong over and over again. Yeah, with chess, all my friend all my chess friends that play they always beat me, but I still like to take the lessons. I get the passion. Okay, you grind out. And uh, when I'm in the studio, I just like shut the door. Here we are in the Neon Future Cave, and uh, and I just I you know I just keep working, start pumping out whatever I can do. And I'm still, you know, 42. I've done so many remixes, so many tracks, so many collabs, and yet I'm still doing the same amount of remixes, the same amount of tracks, same amount of collabs. Nothing's really stopping. Um, that that same consistency of work even even as i have excelled or have like reached levels of success where you'd think like well slow down and because and then put out less i'm i'm still pumping out you know the same you know i don't want to say quantity over quality here but the way my uh career has grown is from doing a lot and then sharpening it's like sharpening your sword you know like the more you use it the more the more you just get better at it and and then one of those strikes is gonna really shake the world up and uh it, it's like some artists can get it on that one try for me it takes about maybe 10. okay you write about some of this in your new book that is fascinating it's called blue the color of noise and I'm having a hard time believing what you just said. <laughs> so if, if you were perfectly average at this, uh, I mean, you're, you're well-funded. You know, your, your dad created Benihana. 
So you might, you might be able to afford a mistake or two more, but if one in 10 of the things you did actually hit at a certain point, people would maybe tune out a little bit. Your hit rate has to be better than that. Yeah, I well, I guess this is like what I say to myself. So it's a lot of mindset approach um, because I guess you're right. If I did put out like nine really uh, horrible songs or put out nine things out of 10 that people were like turned off, turned away from, then they wouldn't listen to that one, right? So yeah. I guess you're right on that approach. But in my, in my head, I, I keep myself grounded in that place because I don't want to feel like, well, I only need to do this one thing and I'll be fine. Yep. I'm always kind of anxious that that people just won't won't, you know, they won't like it as much as me. I just have to love it myself and, and then I'll put it out there. But okay. I know that in in you know what you're saying is that the way that I love and once I once I love what I'm doing and I'm able to put that out to the world, I there is that level of like, okay, this is going to be something that's going to be important for the culture because I just know to that point. Now, as far as how much it shakes up culture to, mm -hmm. you know, the, the artists that, you know, when we go back to the, these, the, the talented artists that just put out like the one, the one record and boom, you know, they like break, you know, they break the mold. Um, you know, I, 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 I've said this before. It's like, I, I, I don't ever think of myself as like the anomaly that does that, you know? Otherwise, it's just okay. like, you know, like I might stop, you know, my process and I feel like it's working. You mentioned something about a, a just knowing in there. And I interviewed Rick Rubin and I've gotten to know him. And, and we've actually talked back and forth about it on the show about that sense of, of, of just knowing and being sensitive to things because I, I could kind of believe you, except you also just know, because we looked at it where you go to design fashion, uh, which is like, I think a floor above or below us. I, I get lost in the school <laughs> funhouse, but you look at it and you just know what you want to do and you know when it's right. Where does just knowing live in your, is it a cognitive thing? Do you feel it in your gut? Like, where does that live in your body? Um, it's it's definitely it's an informed feeling, okay. um, and it's it's also fleeting. It like it comes and it goes. So, um, like for example, when I'm in the studio, um, if I'm working on a, a record, right, mm -hmm. the melody is really important. Okay. Okay. Like I think it's easy to to say like naturally when you like listen to a song, you, like the melody is what's going to make you sing along or like make a hook out of something there's a million melodies that you can make. Yeah. And actually it's like music is an interesting thing because like, you know, everyone's done the same melodies. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's been rehashed a million times. It's like wearing the same pair of pants. Like everyone's worn those pants. You just have to acid wash them differently or paint it differently. But people have already done that. It's just how you wear it, how you present it out to the world that makes it a little different. So for me, when I'm in here and, um, and I'm, trying to come up with a melody that's going to, you know, that, that, that gets to that, the part of like, okay, that's the one. That's definitely the one out of the f 60 melodies that we're trying to find, or I'm trying to write on, on the MIDI. This is the one. Now for me, I can't think about what's outside the room. So you get into the flow state when you do that. Yeah. I can't okay. think about what other people's opinions are. 
that's that that that, okay. that fucks up your whole flow. And when you talk about that though, you're you're always pointing to right in the middle of your chest. So, so you feel it like in your heart when the melody's right. Yeah, it's definitely um, it's definitely yeah, it's definitely like the center. Okay, it's the center of my body. So it's for visceral. Sure. Yeah, okay. because it, it's definitely it's an emotional thing, you know. I mean, when you boil music down, you boil a lot of this, this stuff down, like the creative process, it's it's a feelings process. Okay. It's an emotional process. So you get it, like you know it. Yeah. Like it's it's like, it's there before you even realize it. Like once you hear it, once you know it, once you've played it 10 times, you're like, oh, this it's it's so, it's like part of your DNA. Like you know it that well. Mm-hmm. When you, when when I get there, then like it's a hit to me. And, and you, I'm ready, for, ready to be able to develop the song enough to give it away to people. So I, that's that's my process as far as is is uh getting to that place where I'm willing to stop the the experimental stage. The reason I'm asking is I go through a similar process as an author and and a writer. Uh, you 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 know when you've constructed a paragraph or a chapter, and and I just feel like oh. If I see an Olympic diver, there's no splash when in the water. If I wrote my stuff right, it should go into someone's brain without a splash. Yeah, and, right. and I just somehow know in my gut or, or somewhere, and I, I don't know how to teach that, but I'm interested in how people who are creative and know how to spot it, how we do it, because it's a very unusual skill. I think that the um, skill is that 10,000 hour rule. Okay. You know, like like I've, I've felt that when I first started, and, and like I listened back to those productions, and th- I just can't listen to them. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. it takes time to get there. I've like through the, all the different stages of my creative process since I was a kid. Um, I always felt like I had that, but you know, you're living in your own head, okay. you know, or if you're in a band or if you're working with different groups of people, you're living in that space. And sometimes it's a good thing. And sometimes it's a bad thing, you know? Yeah. Cause you're in that vacuum. You You also need that kind of, you know, in some in some instances, you want to get the the feedback, and in in others, you do not. Okay. You know, I think when I'm in my space here, I feel like you know I've I've broken the ten thousand hour rule for you know a long long time ago. That I have trust in that gut process of of what you know not only what it means to me emotionally, but how I feel like it'll connect with people outside the room from my informed experience by luckily I travel around the world. I get, I get like the best, uh, you know, litmus test of playing in front of so many people, so many countries, so many different backgrounds, cultural backgrounds and, you know, languages, you know, country, whatever it might be. And that ultimately helps, you know, my decisions without me even thinking about that, you know, so the experience just gets baked in. Oh yeah, it's, it's right. baked in without me even thinking about like, oh, the Italians are going to love this. Okay, the Brazilians are going to. It's love not this. cognitive. It's all like you're connecting in some other. Yeah, way. Okay. I mean, I guess if I want to break down the science of it, which is very interesting, because just like walking with you through this house, talking to you about stuff, it makes me want to like really you know, boil it, boil it out, and see what the science is too. I want to measure your brain and even have you compose something in your head and I will show you what your brain does. And I'm pretty sure I can predict some of your brain states that are unusual. Uh, Cause what you find after looking at a bunch of different brains, I'm talking about the 40 years of Zen stuff. Yeah. Uh, you end up realizing, you know what? There's a lot of people who aren't average and they might suck at some things, but they're super 
super powered in some areas and uh, creative brands you probably have a little bit more theta and, and there's some stuff right, going on yeah. and then that's of course really that's performance tunable uh, but i w we'll see if the hypothesis matches the data and i'll tell yeah. you the hypothesis afterwards so we know well i'm that. i'm all about for one being self-aware and self-critical that's a very important thing okay. for for just me as a human being and two when you are self-aware and self-critical then you know that you have areas that you need uh, that, that that are have inadequacies and you need help with, or you need that support. What like you're talking about, like okay, here we could advance this this side of you, you know. Mm -hmm. So I always like go into everything with this noob mentality. Like, hey guys, I don't know anything, but I want to learn constantly. Learn even if I'm still in the studio for so so many hours, I still like try to bring myself down to that student level. And always, you know, listen first, think like, hear a different experience, a different approach. And that's also another reason why I love collaborations, because the challenge to listen to the approach and process of other artists is, is essentially going to help, you know, get my, this gut, the center, that, that the, the, the knowing part, just more rounded. Do you ever have someone come into the studio? I'm not asking you to name names because that would obviously be no, bad. Yeah, but someone who came into the studio who's, who you just didn't gel with, and, and, and like I can't work with this yeah. person. <laughs> you know, so something's wrong. Does that ever happen, or you um, find a way? Okay, so whenever I get to that state, mm -hmm. then you have to just be completely unmarried to like any of your things that your ego or whatever it is that's like that could be you that's making mm -hmm. it hard. And okay. I think a great producer can do that. Got it. I try to be as adaptable, like, like what Bruce Lee says, be like water, just be okay. kind of flowing, like, you know, and, you know, it's also, what's nice about this house is that mm -hmm. this studio is our place to create, but right. this is a, this is a house where I'm being hospitable. So I care more about you being here and your feelings. And I want to make you feel special, you know? So, if I can give that to you first, then you're you're going to be more willing to open up. And when you're an artist in here, especially if I don't know you, I want you to feel like you you're comfortable to open. So up. you're creating a, a safe space, and and your whole decor is super cool, but it's also playful. Yeah, yeah, it's so fun and like you designed it to encourage no that tension. Okay, and yeah, there are times like where it's like we're we're not going anywhere and. You know, we might come up with some ideas and no no real like progress is made. I have plenty of vocals from incredible huge artists, mm -hmm. like massive artists that, you know, for one reason or another didn't didn't like, you know, execute into a song. And it like it breaks my heart, you mm -hmm. know, because some of these artists have passed away too. Yeah, you know, and that breaks my heart. Like, wow, we we made some beautiful music together. Well, it wasn't necessarily about the gelling issue, just because of one. You know, it could be a label thing, but sure, there's so much unfinished work that comes in the studio, whether it's from, um, you know, I'm kind of digressing here, but from like not gelling, or from like other bureaucracy. It's incomplete, and that's frustrating. Yeah, but I always try to make it fun, no matter what, and uh, and you know. I think the I think the most important thing is like you you gotta you know you gotta be the the bigger person in the room if uh, things aren't working and just kind of take that self critical approach like well I can change it you know okay. or I can at least try you know 
Why is blue the color of noise in, in your book? That, that's a an unusual title to choose. How did you get that? Yeah, well, so first of all, blue is it's uh, my favorite color. I mean, you kind of see like like spots of it in my house, especially in the studio. Um, it's also my last name, which is um, which means blue tree, Aoki. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. And what's strange is that when I was finishing this book, I didn't actually put the two and two together. I was like, blue's always been my favorite color. And you never... I never really put the two and two together until like the last, I think I, I talk about it in um, in the book in a way where I'm like, oh, I, I, I'm, that's, that's the way it ties to the public. But for me, I didn't really, you know, it's kind of like that knowing thing, you know, like yeah. it's there, but you didn't realize how close it is to you. Do you know but, how your family got that name? Uh... Well, I mean, we're a family of samurais, okay. so it's not very—it's not a very masculine name, I think. <laughs> it's not like we are the family of the blue tree, uh, you know, fighting in honor for this but piece the, of land. The samurai were more about inner peace. You know, they—if if they kill you, they're not going to kill you in anger. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're yeah. Cut that's you in half. Right. And like, I'm at peace with that. You know, but that was the—you know—the Bushido code was was very much like that. Yeah. Right. But um, yeah, I've I actually don't know. It's like when you ask these questions, it makes me think like, well, I gotta know these things. I <laughs> I want to learn, you know. Uh, yeah. So that's that's an interesting history that I need to figure out. But um, okay. Yeah, that's 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 pretty cool. Yeah, and also blue. You know, when I when I started this memoir, or when I was actually started finishing the memoir, I was coming up with the title. I wanted actually, I wanted it to be about all the different colors that that kind of shape the person that I am the okay. story the stories that are in the book and uh and that was just it was just too cluttered that way okay like I, I was, rainbow yeah I was talking to um Neil Strauss I love Neil he's, yeah he's a friend so I got on a call with him and I was like I'm having trouble with some parts of my book and I need some insight advice I love I read all his books. I'm like such a fan. I, I want my writing to be at the level of his writing sometimes. <laughs> uh, I did help him name his his podcast. That was my my highlight. That's of the, awesome. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah the, the to live and die in L.A. Uh, but yeah, he gave me some like he, he did he? he. I mean, just in the you know the twenty or thirty minute call, like he gave me a lot of lot of uh, great insight. And and I was like, he's like, maybe you do all the different pages, different colors, and. And I just kept on boiling it down, boiling it down from just our conversation. And I was like, well, it all points towards blue. So, um, and then that's when it was like, okay, I'm going to frame these stories as different shades of blue, how like, like there are different emotions in my life, different, like, you know, histories and times of my life and, um, and the color of noise. Now this is interesting because blue is a color that calms you. Mm-hmm. It's quite the opposite of noise. Yeah, you know, it blue is in a state of where, like, where I go to reset. Okay, so it's that inner peace. Yeah, kind of thing again. All right, like I need that blue in my life because I live in noise. Well, you look at there's that, and also blue tree. The trees are grounded; they have roots on the earth, yeah. and also that's where you're going. Right. Yeah, but so the way I see it is that it's like my world, my career, my life, my my passions are like in this noise i'm like in a loud environment mm -hmm. i make loud music i'm in like very energetic places but in order to be in that noise i need to be in blue wow so, so it's 
Well, let's talk about how you how you prepare for that. Yeah, I mean, it's exhausting to be in front of an audience, and it can also be energizing. At least it is for me, and I've talked to lots of people about that. For me, a large audience is you know, fifteen thousand people at a Tony Robbins event, uh, and you sort of go a bit high from that. But the art of preparing, and if you're going to deliver for hours, uh, you're you're bringing something of you, and you're giving it to the group. How do you keep your energy up so that, especially after you fly all over the place, time zone disruption, do you have some sort of magic yoga pose or something you do before? Uh, Oh, like the rituals? Yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, the rituals are like, it's not just like this like moment right before the show. Mm -hmm. It's more about bringing my lifestyle that I want on the road and treating the road like my home. That's a really important like just mindset that I need to have. It's not like, oh, I can't wait to be home. Three more days and I'll be home. I'm like, when I'm on the road, I like change my whole way of of living. Like, this is my home now. Mm-hmm. I am comfortable and I am at peace because I'm on the road. Like I do 250 shows a year and I've done it for 15 years straight. So I've never not been on off the road mm-hmm. for a huge part of my life, over a decade of my life. Doesn't that wreck friendships and relationships? I wouldn't say wreck. It just changes. Okay. Like you adapt, you know, like, yes, I've like some of my friendships diminished to, you know, very few visits, but it's the sacrifice. Like, what do you want to do in your life? You know? Okay. So I, it's kind of like for me, I, people that are in my life now un- understand this is like a, a, a passion very critical passion of mine and they understand that and they kind of they kind of have to because this is what i this is like how i i'm going to live you know okay. um if if they don't get it then like it just or yeah the relationship will you know in a negative way will be wrecked but okay. it just you know it'll have to accept you yeah you. Ex- exactly okay. so um but i think that in itself is really important the mindset of of first of all taking the the like i'm away from my home outside my head like take that out and then i bring in like my workouts my my health regimen uh meditation uh whatever it might be like like that i would do at home okay i like try to do my best to make sure i have it on the road the hardest part is dealing with airports is dealing with like waking up early and late nights and waking up early late nights waking up early you know to go to the airport Mm -hmm. and the drudgery of like you know, security, waiting for the flight and the whole ordeal. They need to fix that. It, it doesn't even make sense. The airports, they can charge more rent. The, the longer you have to wait at the airport, the higher the rent they can charge to the <laughs> restaurants and the merchants there. Yeah. They're incented to make us spend two hours waiting at the airport for a one-hour flight. I didn't think about that, but it makes total yeah, sense. That's why it happens either. that way. Right. And I mean, I I only travel about 150 days of the year, so yeah. I'm, I'm kind of a medium weight compared to 250 <laughs> Uh, and yeah, I figured I was spending 400 hours a year sitting in airports and they're the least hospital environments, echoey voices overhead and all. So do you use noise canceling headphones, baseball hats, sunglasses? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Same here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I got, I got like my, that's definitely a, I have a flying regiment too. I got, I carry an obnoxious pillow with me. (laughs) I carry the the headphones. I got a hoodie up if I have to Mm -hmm. put my hair up in a bun glasses you know yeah i carry a little little it's a yoga kneeling mat but it's one that raises the seat high enough for me because i'm just too tall for yeah those dumb right. little seats yeah, yeah and, and it, i feel kind of bad i'd like to have lighter smaller luggage but i can still carry it on and 
you know, that's how it's going to be. Yeah. So you got your obnoxious big old yoga thing. I got my obnoxious pillow. Yeah. We're very similar. <laughs> I have to say, Any the eye mask is, is important. Okay. Eye mask. Big yeah. fat eye mask. Yeah. Like cushy, soft, kind of pillowy eye mask. Yeah. That's, that's important. Once they, once people see you there, they don't bother you, you know? Yeah. You know, I'm like, I'm good. I'm like, I used to produce on the plane. I used to be like super efficient, but yeah. now it's, it's not about like trying to cram it all in. It's more about just, trying to sleep sleep and you know kind of like entertain my brain with some movies and stuff like that but yeah there's a downtime value there and you're really not there's less air pressure there's background noise there's no oxygen the air is crappy so in terms of being at your height of creativity it's an unlikely place yeah right but i was really like i, w- I was i had the discipline to be like i gotta produce every day wow you know, I got to make okay. music every day because, right. uh, you know, it's just that that habits rule. You know, you do something for two weeks. It's it just gets ingrained in you. And like, it's not like this drudgery or this chore. Okay, so you like. Yeah. So like I would do I would challenge myself in certain places where I feel like uncomfortable mm-hmm. and I would do it, you know, for a month. And, you know, just like reading your book and, and like how you talk about yourself as this human guinea pig. Like you have to see if your brain are, is going to change in these environments, which it should, you know, it's yeah. like plastic enough to do that. So, um, but then it's just like, when you, after you get that done, you're like, we're like, th- this is just too much, you know, and then you have to like scale back, you know? So I guess okay. it's like trial and error. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. You write about being a, a vegan and straight edge and and you know your life. You've talked openly about alcohol and things like that. You're 42 now. Where have you ended up just from an overall nutritional perspective to be able to handle the, the <laughs> lifestyle that you've chosen? Well, so, yeah, I talk about this too as like, you know, just like we're talking about how I think about my life on the road mm-hmm. as being home. I also think of myself as like an, an athlete. Yeah, you are. It's the same amount of work as being an athlete. Right. And it's a, and I, it's a wear and tear on your body, whether 
uh it's on and i talk about this in the book my uh vocal cord abuse mm. uh singing in a band screaming in a band i was in this hardcore band so i destroyed my vocal cords and i would yell on the mic everybody jump or like whatever it might yeah. be and then soon i had to get the vocal cord surgery mm-hmm. cut the polypoid out i had one month of silence which was an amazing reset wow for me. i mean it wasn't like meditate going to a meditation camp or something but I literally was like, okay, now we're going to start the school of Aoki. All the things I want to learn and digest. One was transcendental meditation. That was okay. that was a big thing for me. Do you have a daily meditation practice now? Um, I I'm reading on this book about Bija meditation. I want to like learn other meditation forms uh, or styles, or whatever. But it, it's neat to have a palette of them to know the one that works best for you. Yeah, uh-huh. TM has been like my my consistent one, but I I'm wide open. I want to learn more. You know. I've spent, I went to Tibet to learn meditation from the masters. Wow. Uh, that was when I first had yak butter tea. That was the genesis of Bulletproof Coffee. Um, but I tried all these art of living, just wrote a forward for the book about that. And wow. that's out of India. But I couldn't, people say, what's the best one? I, I don't know. What's the best food? <laughs> you know, they're, they're different. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think you're doing the right thing. I, I'm always a little bit a little bit suspicious when someone says this is the only kind of meditation I'll ever do because I get to look at people's brainwaves who only do one kind of meditation. Right. And I think we want to have a diet of broad types yeah, of meditation. Exactly. Just I, like if all you eat is Fruit Loops, you might not like what happens even though they might be spiritual for you. Right, 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 okay. right, right. Now let's talk about what you do in philanthropy because we have some interest there around brains. What's your What are your thoughts on philanthropy in general and what are the areas you care about the most? Uh, yeah, so I have a foundation that it's the, the entire focus is on brain health, brain science, um, and working alongside scientists and researchers and and orgs that that deal with brain, the, the human brain, and and actually as well as like anti aging, longevity. Well, you can't really talk about brain science without talking about that, aging. exactly. Yeah, they, they're so interlinked. Why that? I mean, you could have chosen to you know feed the planet, to you know, bring water to Africa. There's all kinds of charities out there. Why brain health? Because it's a huge, it's like a huge, it's a huge passion of mine. Okay. For one, uh, I'm, well, first of all, I'm obsessed with uh, the idea of living indefinitely. Oh, so that's like the a, same team there. Yeah, yeah. So like Neon Future, my whole, I have a whole album series called Neon Future. And outside of this, the, the org, uh, the foundation, um, my whole approach on life, the Neon Future ideology is, the convergence of AI and and us, our species, like this new it's happening, new species that will form when we will merge with AI to the point where we'll be, you know, a, a positive, more positive outlook than than Yuval Harari's Homo Deus, you know. Yeah. So um, I'm excited about that. I'm I'm like crossing my fingers it'll be in our lifetime, and if it's not, I have my insurance policy to cryonically freeze my uh my brain i was gonna ask you that so are you freezing just your head or your whole body i'm doing the whole body because i can afford to i know it's not necessary but because how do you know it's not necessary i don't know like like, like i was talking to max from alcor who's like yeah. where I'm, i work with i like max and he's like oh, i'm just freezing my my head because at the end like i just want to upload it into another body anyways i'm like well, I'll just take the, I'll just take the whole body, you know, <laughs> even though I'll be a shriveled up old man. There's a whole assumption there that consciousness is only in the brain, but it's an unproven assumption. And right. the so my book, uh, 
Headstrong. It's funny you mentioned Yuval's book. Uh, Homo Deus and Sapiens were both on the monthly science bestseller list, yeah. and Headstrong was sandwiched between them. Oh, so it was nice. like the meat in the Yuval sandwich, <laughs> which was a super big honor for me. And what I've what I've found in writing that book and just processing all the information is that a huge amount of our subconscious stuff it comes from the tissues in the body and it rolls up. And you're saying consciousness is just in the brain. The brain's the recipient of all these signals that it's processing and filtering. And I feel like, you know, you might stitch your head on a new body, but even with organ transplant things, there's a, a famous study from an organ transplant scientist who wouldn't, or a doctor who wouldn't write about this until he retired. And he said, look, I took the, the heart from a 22-year-old girl and I put it in an old cowboy. And his family calls me six weeks later and says he's taking bubble baths. Like, what's up with this? this? This isn't, in his entire 60 years, he's never taken a bubble bath and would never do that. And so there's something in our tissues that's part of who we are. And I, right. I find it arrogant to say I'm only going to freeze my head because we don't know where consciousness lies. They we call, don't know what it is. It's the gut, the second brain, right? Yeah. So, yeah. You preserve I, your gut yeah, if you're going to freeze yourself. Yeah, I yeah. guess you're right. You know, like, you, you never really know. So I am doing the whole body. All right. That's, uh, I'm, you know, I hope I, I live to this point where, you know, the conversation that people have is like, what? People used to die, <laughs> you know? Like, I think mm -hmm. that'll happen, but like, I hope it's in our time, you know? All right. But um, going back to the the foundation, it's it's exciting to also have this foundation just for me personally, mm -hmm. so I can get into conversations with scientists oh, it's really and researchers, fun. you know? It's not just about like raising money, but raising awareness and first of all, like informing me so then I can also be a mouthpiece and like inform you know, whoever wants to listen to what I have to say. So um, I just love like meeting up with doctors and, and scientists and hearing breakthroughs and meeting up with you, Dave, and like hearing about what's going on with like breakthroughs happening. I know you're out here for the- um, The American the Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine, yeah. yeah. You know, like when you said that, like my, like everything just like flickered. I'm like, oh, tell me more, you know, about the peptides and all like the stuff you're talking about. Oh, I, I There's several interviews uh, that I, I picked up there for the show with you know, people, most, most people have never heard of them, uh, but they're doing this cutting edge work that everyone on the planet should have access to that even people who can afford it don't have access to because they don't know about it. And by making it accessible so people hear about it, the cost just drops precipitously. Yeah. So if if I do my job right, if you do your, your brain philanthropy right, the stuff that's the realm of science fiction or the billionaire realm yeah. suddenly becomes, you know what? I think I, I think I can send my mom to that and I might get another 10 years for Absolutely. her to get to know the grandkids and all Absolutely. that. Absolutely. This is, that is unquestionably already happening and it's yeah. accelerating in our life. I, I've never been more excited about that. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's the first thing, the first person I think about is when I hear anything about longevity is my mom. Like, like I've got to get my mom on that, yeah. you know? Um, like we did the NAD last week, I was telling you. It's like, mom, you got to do the NAD, even though it's going to make you feel really weird. <laughs> <laughs> I'm but, impressed that she did it. I've, I've sent both my parents in to get their NAD as yeah. well. And it, there's a chapter in Superhuman about that. And right now, NAD is still reasonably expensive. I imagine that the cost should drop over time. Absolutely. Well, yeah. Yeah. And there's supplements you can take orally. I've talked about on the show. They give you a bump, but they don't give you that. I want 20 year old NAD levels yeah. forever, but they'll probably keep your levels where they are. Right. So, how do we do all that? And some of it's commercially motivated in that you know, they're selling a supplement or going to a clinic. And I have a clinic that does that, full disclosure, et cetera. Um, but 
what's much more interesting is who's going to fund the core science on this. And a lot of times it does come down to either government grants through NIH or it comes down to philanthropy. Because if one company is Upgrade Labs, um, this is a bulletproof spin out like the experience of biohacking, two clinics in LA, and I'm opening one up in Victoria. Uh, so we are not in a position to say fund an NAD study because it would take you know 20% of our annual revenue to do it. Yeah. And then it would benefit all of our competitors. And I'm working to move the biohacking industry up so I don't really see it as competitors. Mm. But I do know that if I took that money and I opened a clinic in a place where people wanted it, I would help more people right. than if I funded the research. Yeah. But I want the research. And I'd, yeah, be willing exactly, to, yeah. I'd be willing to contribute something to the yeah. research, but I can't pay for all of it. Yeah, it's kind of thing that like, when you bring that up, you could almost create this this union of people where um like listen we all put in this amount we're all in the same business it's gonna it, like you know yeah. when the water rises we all rise that's what it calls for and across the entire supplement industry even across some of the brain science so there's this weird thing where okay if i spend a million dollars in research I would like to have the right to earn that back. That's what yeah. the patents and trademarks right. and all that stuff are for. But if it's a substance that can't be patented because it's already in your body and you're not a drug company, there's this big gap. And so I'm hoping for anti-aging, some of the things like, there's a Japanese uh, root called ashitaba. And it extends lifespan in rats by either 15 or 20%. Wow. That's pretty darn meaningful. And wow. it's been used for thousands of years in Japan. It doesn't taste that good. I tried putting it in my Bulletproof coffee. I wouldn't want to spill coffee with that stuff, yeah. so I just put it in a little cup with stuff. Sounds like something you would put in tea. Even right. then, it wouldn't be a tea that you wanted to drink. Like and you can do those mushroom coffee things. That's gross. Just take the mushrooms in a capsule or in a tincture and then drink your coffee. So this is kind of like you just put it in a pill and you just... And you, I think that's yeah. what I take the powder because yeah. that's a traditional way of drinking right. those, but it, it's more like a medicinal tea. Yeah. Like, a Chinese tea where they boil the eye of newt and a piece of bark that you've never seen before and, and it smells horrible and you hold your nose and you drink it. It's more along that thing. But I kind of like that. those. I like yeah. it when it's pungent, weird and <laughs> hot and like an like, like this old uh, Chinese lady is giving it to me. I'm like, all right, I'm in. Like, yeah. I don't even care if it's bad. I'll be like, it's, you know. The first time I had that was in Chinatown in Victoria and a, a prescription from this this older guy. And he sends me in, to, it's some, like something out of a movie. And you go in and, and the guy who's there, um, he had to be in his 90s. Uh, and he had all these little wooden drawers just full of uh, Harry love Potter it. level I love, of stuff. I love the visual. Yeah. A piece of newspaper and he's this, this, and there's seed pods and all this crazy stuff. And he puts them in there and he has, it was either a glass eye or something different because one eye was looking out over there. I, I mean, <laughs> And and he was truly a master of his craft, and he had the prescription from the acupuncture guy, and and I drank the stuff. I think it helped, but man, it was it was an experience boiling that for twenty minutes and <laughs> the uh, smell. <laughs> yeah, but you like that, all right? Yeah, I do. I like That's the hardcore. process. I like the whole visual of it too. Yeah, you need all of that. You can't just be like, "Hey, man, here's a drink. Just drink it." You'd be like, "Uh, yeah." And then the, you know, but if you get the whole process, and the whole story, I'm like. I'll you, sip it down. You're sort of earning it when you. Yeah, do exactly. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you've, I mean, you've got all the art, all the music out there. You want. You have multiple companies. It takes a huge amount of time to write a book. Yeah. Uh, why did you choose to write a book? It, it's how many hours did you spend on it? Anyway? Six, uh, six years. Six years. Six, six years from from like when I first started writing, because I've written down tons and tons of different stories and. Um, originally the first three years I was putting together the Dimmock book. 
It yes. wasn't about me. It was about my my company, right? Because the company's been around for over twenty three years now. Okay, and there's a. It's just like we've we've dodged a lot of bullets that would have killed mm -hmm. the. You know, indie indie companies in the music business is really really tough already, but we were able to like just dodge the bullets and go from genre to genre and and influence culture the way we did, and um and then it it was a lot about like the beginning. For me, I was writing a lot about but the beginning of why I even started a label. And when I was a kid and like the story of, you know, a Japanese kid living in Newport Beach. Um, and you know, not not you know, it's very difficult to make friends, it's very difficult to explain the culture. Yeah, Forty years ago. Yeah. Okay. And it was I'm guessing Newport Beach was mostly sort of ninety six percent white. Oh wow. And and as as liberal as California is, it was it was like Probably as conservative as like uh you know Alabama you know wow maybe not not that bad but no but, I, I grew up in Albuquerque in that same time frame it's pretty darn conservative yeah yeah it's very conservative and very um just like there was just just straight up racism it wasn't like subliminal I, so I had never met anyone from an Asian country uh, until I was a teenager because there was simply no one. Uh, oh, except at the, there's a Chinese food place. Um, but like, that was the extent of it where yeah, I lived. And right. now Albuquerque, you see Breaking Bad. I yeah, mean, it's yeah, very yeah. multicultural. There's right. Indian restaurants. There's all kinds of cool stuff. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of people, especially if you're 20 years old, you can't imagine a world like that. Yeah. But it was, it was very separate. So you were there, you're a Japanese kid. So you, people treated you differently there. Yeah. But um, in the end, I mean, it's funny because I'll, I'll, I'll bring it back even further. So my mom moved to Newport Beach from Miami. Okay. So she moved in like the like like early like late seventies, early eighties, and I don't know how she, why she picked Newport Beach. It's like almost like okay, we're gonna move to the other side of the country, mm -hmm. and um, if she pinned the dot on the map just ten miles away, she would have lived in a Japanese community with like eighty percent Japanese people. Wow, but she didn't do the research. I guess it's harder. I guess not. There's I no, Google. no Google. No Google. She's, she's a woman that speaks broken English. Like she only she doesn't know how to assimilate herself into like a a white uh you know a Western culture or a white culture. So she just would go to her Japanese churches, meet with Japanese friends, but she'd have to drive far to, to do that. And um, so we grew up in Newport Beach, and like you know, in Irvine, which is a city I'm talking about, just like. Mm -hmm like all Asians. Oh, totally. It's just right, right around the corner. And, uh, but for me growing up, it was a blessing disguise in the end, because I, I didn't excel. I would, like I said, I, I would say talent wise, I'm a C levels, you know, person or individual. Mm -hmm. So I didn't excel in sports. I didn't excel in like all the traditional ways to make friends and socialize and like be accepted. So, I just hung out with, uh, I eventually met, met up with these, these kids that, that were also felt like they didn't get accepted and they were, we listened to the same kind of music and the way that we got our cool points was by contributing to the little culture that we're part of. And by contributing is like, you have to pick up an instrument. You have to learn how to start a band. You have to do a zine that talks about this little, little culture. And then like all of a sudden I had my own zine. I was at Kinko's. I was <laughs> I I learning up the guitar, bass, the singing. And I was at, like at practice all the time. And I was like, wow, this is like my way to contribute to get like my level of respect. And now I don't need the, the you know, the respect from everybody else. Cause I found like this vehicle to, you know, find my passion. And that eventually led me down the music path, which led me to start my label. And then 
fast forward going back to like when I was writing uh, this book, um, you know, after three years of going, well, this isn't working for Dimlock. I don't know how we're going to sell this. Um, and I'm realizing 60% of it is really about me. I'm just going to like put Dimlock into what would become my story. And then I just kept on writing with no intention of re actually releasing um, the manuscripts or something like that. And then, and it was just a ton, ton, and ton of stories. And then I worked with different um, writers, different authors to help me boil it down, to help me like color in, you know, you know, how are we going to put, like what stories are going to, are we going to put in? Um, how are we going to color these different moments? Like dealing with my father's death, which was really hard to write about. Um, dealing with my friends passing uh, DJ AM to Avicii to Chester Bennington from Lincoln Park, you know, talking about their influences on my life. Um, the different career moments that excelled, ta really talking about failure and, and how to deal with failure. Um, and, uh, and then like putting it all together in this lens of blue, okay. which is the last step, you know? So I had to like shave off tons and tons of stories so it sounds like it was kind of healing or it helped you identify your process. There's uh, very therapeutic. Okay. Same time, the last three years, I was also, uh, I had a, a therapist I'd talk, uh, talk with. So a lot of those sessions went into the book. So it was great for me. <laughs> it was actually a double prong attack, you know. Did you have to pay your therapist a portion of royalties? <laughs> no, let's not tell him <laughs> that though. <laughs> Uh, Steve, it's been uh, a real pleasure and an honor to have you on Bulletproof Radio. And normally I, I close out the show by saying how long you think you're going to live, but you already talked about it. You're looking for immortality and, and you and I are in agreement on that. I just say 180, that's at least 180. Yeah, yeah, 180 I, is a good number. Right? I think it's achievable. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I'm not going to ask you that, but I'm going to ask you something that is maybe more in line with Superhuman, uh, my new book. And you, you have this vibe all over the place, cool robots <laughs> and stuff. You get one superpower. What well, I mean, be? are you talking about super uh, like power? Straight out of a comic book. You have a comic book, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. because I know I know who I'd want to be. Yeah, who do you want to be? I what? mean, he's kind of like the 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 cheat, though. Like, he's got everything. Nothing wrong with cheating. Green Lantern. Green Lantern? I yeah. wouldn't have expected that. Oh, dude, he is. Like, whatever he imagines comes to life. That's true. It's amazing. I mean, imagine you can swim underwater. Because, like, some people be like, um, time travel. He can time travel. He can just imagine it. <laughs> so it's kind of the cheat That's because you can do everything answer. going to space it's like you ask the genie what I want unlimited wishes and, yeah yeah it's okay. like unlimited imagination is the only thing that stops him is fear so if he's if he's fearful of something then then like then his powers diminish. So he pretty much has to be in a Zen master mode all the time, or he can't manifest that. That's a that's a pretty slick answer. And actually, when you really boil it down, like you know, I look at life like that where I can achieve anything as long as I work hard and I, you know, going back to what we're talking about, like, uh, you know, finding that, that, that center, I can be able to approach all these different things that I do. And, um, whether they're successful to other people is not what's important to me. It's just like whether it means something to me is what's important. And then I can actually go and execute on those things, whether it's music or fashion or having a like a pizza business and mainly based in LA or whatever it might be. What's your pizza business? I don't know about that one. Yeah, so I have a, a pizza company called Pizzaoki. Oh, no way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'll tell you the quick note of the story is that we started in the summer of 2018. Mm -hmm. We have over 23 kitchens now. 
dang. I, I've had a restaurant in LA for six years, the Bulletproof Coffee Shop, and we've got two locations. I'm, I'm sort of feeling like I'm, like I'm a little. The slow. different thing is, is like, <laughs> uh, is it, there's like uh, the smoke and mirrors of what I'm saying here. We have 23 kitchens. Oh, what does that mean? They're uh, they're mainly delivery. Oh, so they're distributed. Yeah. That makes it a little bit yeah. easier. Okay. So we started as a as a pizza delivery business. Okay. But because of the the, the hype and like everyone's like it's doing so well, then we had then we opened up two dine-ins. Okay. One in Studio City, one in Venice. Very small. So very we're probably neighbors because I'm I'm in Santa Monica, around the edge of Venice. All right, off to swing by. Do you yeah. have a gluten free offering for me? Um, I think we're working on that, you know, but like <laughs> it's fast casual, but people love it, you know, but that's cool. I was not <laughs> expecting you to say yes. I mean, gluten-free pizza. It's like, it's not really pizza then, is it? But, <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Thanks again, Steve. Your new book is called Blue, The Color of Noise. And it's fascinating to read just to get inside your head and, and Thanks, appreciate Dave. your introspection. Thank you. Appreciate that. Thank you. If you like today's episode, you know what to do. What I always ask you to do at the end of a show Pick up the book if it sounded interesting. You want to know about Steve's career, which is really in-depth and just what makes a world changer like him. Hey, he wrote it down for you over six years. You should read it. And if you read it, you also know because you always listen to the end of the show, right? I would say the same thing. Leave a review already. It's free and it's like leaving a tip for your favorite authors. Have a great day. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.